You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. What's up, everyone? How are we doing? Wasn't that fun? My gosh. Well, I uh, am thankful to be here. Update on my life. I spoke at a women's conference for the first time yesterday. (laughs) Who was at Arise yesterday? Yeah. It's incredible what that uh, event has become. So I was kind of a surprise guest, even to me. Um, (laughs) But it was a blessed day, and I'm just thankful to Jesus, just in awe, uh, continually in awe of what he's doing in this community. So uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5. We'll read a couple of verses out of there together tonight. Um, and so let's get in. So Jesus, I thank you that you're pastoring this community and that you are the leader of this church and that you're discipling us, uh, making us into your disciples here. And I thank you, Jesus, that... Um, you're just, you're, you're guiding and shaping everything we do, what we do on Sundays and what we do throughout the week so that we can live our lives, God, to just become disciples in the truest sense of that word. And so I ask that you'll do that tonight, God, that you'll disciple us into maturity and into purity of heart, Lord, so that we can become everything that you created us to be as a family, God. So we thank you and we're here to worship you tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know... I'm, I'm more just going to have like a pastoral conversation with you tonight. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, I just made it one. So uh, it's less sermon and more I'm just going to just share um, and, and have a conversation with you based on just things that I see and observe as I am constantly in this place of just processing with the Lord and processing with uh, uh, many people that have also poured much of their lives and hearts into what Riverhouse is uh, to just get a check on like what are you doing, Lord? Where are you moving, and, and how are you developing Riverhouse into what it's to become? And probably one of the biggest blessings and the biggest challenges that we've had in the last uh, two and a half years now is that uh, we have grown, right? And part of the the difficulty and the tension that's created in growing as quickly as we have is that like we were birth in this very simple vision and we had like this you know prayer family mission mandate and we started doing this prayer meetings and revival group and then church and trying to create this rhythm around that but you know as you continue God continues to speak things and we're all you know and we're entrepreneurial and apostolic and so uh, trying to do you know new things and new messages and new grace and things like arise that God's creating but at the same time, as we're on this journey, more and more growth has happened. And as you're coming in, you know, say your first week was last week or whatever, like you don't have the history that's created it to what it is. Does that make sense? So there's this sense, there's this tension of we want to be doing the new thing and what is God saying, but also being faithful to who God's called us to be as a family. And again, laying a foundation of prayer family mission. And I've just felt a check in my spirit really strong recently um, that God just wants to call us back to the foundation of who we are and continue to just really get this rooted in, not just to our minds and 
language, but really into the way that we're living our life, right? And, and it's simple. We, we're a simple church. We don't have a lot of things that we do. We, we're prayer family mission, and we want to be a people, a prayer, a house of prayer, a people that know the heart of God and pray the heart of God and intercede with Jesus according to what he's interceding. We want to be a family, and that's through revival groups, um, these house church communities um, that we're growing and multiplying as we speak and trying to get um, people connected so that you're known and there's intimacy and that we're actually family, not just a crowd on Sundays. And then lastly, we want that to produce missional expression in the form of cre- creative um, you know, creations in the marketplace, in all the sub areas of culture that God has called us to serve. We want to, we want to be a people of mission that are actually bringing the kingdom and bringing the treasure of what's taking place here and translating it to the world. Amen? So I'm going to just start with prayer. Uh, and, and honestly, because it's the most important thing, it's the foundation of everything that this church is, everything that um, we experience, it is all birthed from prayer. And without prayer, none, none, of it, none, none of it else happens. It's not possible. And so I'm going to be like, you know that little song like, um, you know, little drummer boy, rum pum 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 rum pum 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 I'm going to get my prayer drum, and I'm just going to play rum pum 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 until we become a house of prayer, truly. And uh, I've been thinking a, a lot recently about this. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a vision, a dream that Reinhard Bonnke had uh, years ago in his ministry. And he started Christ for All Nations. It had grown. They were seeing many thousands come to the Lord in his crusades in Africa. And he had a dream one night that he was uh, driving a huge ship. And the ship was um, navigating up what he thought to be an African river. And he said the ship was so massive that he started noticing that there was, that he was constricted on the sides because the river wasn't wide enough. He was trying to steer it, trying to steer it, and then ended up uh, hitting the bank and had a, a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic crash. And he woke up from the dream. He knew intuitively that the, the boat was representative of his ministry. And he said, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord basically showed him, your ministry has grown, but prayer has not grown accordingly. He said, and the river represents the prayer life, the prayer covering of your ministry. And he said, if you you need to add prayer partners, he said, and every prayer partner you add, the river will widen an inch. And I don't think that that's necessarily what God's saying to Riverhouse. It's a different thing, but I have been pondering the sentiment of what God communicated to Reinhardt in light of the own growth that we've seen in measure here. And I am just, you know, being honest with you as your pastor tonight, I don't believe that the prayer of this house was founded and birthed upon has grown and has actually taken over the culture. And if I'm honest, and I don't think it's anybody's fault, but I think that there's a lot more emphasis in Riverhouse on what happens Sundays and what happens on this pulpit and what happens in worship than there is on prayer. And I just don't think that that is the heart of God for what the church is to be. If we're to be a people movement, truly, a, a royal priesthood that are fulfilling the mandate for what Riverhouse is to be, which is a missional expression of the kingdom of God and culture, it's not, th- this can never be the pinnacle of what Riverhouse is or what Riverhouse is known for, but we will never be able to become that unless we become a house of prayer. One of the roles of a priest, there was an altar in the tabernacle, and on that altar there was a fire. And the priests were always to keep the fire burning. And we have to keep, we have to become a house of prayer where the the altar is always ablaze 
with fresh intimacy, with fresh love, with fire, with fresh devotion to the Lord. We are to be a house of prayer, and that means as a priesthood, we must learn to steward the fire of God, which is only stewarded in intimacy. It is not stewarded in Sunday meetings. It is stewarded in the prayer closet. It is stewarded in the prayer meeting. It is stewarded through intimacy and intercession with the Lord. Amen? So I believe that that God is needing to to do this to consume the church. Right? A lot of my discipling experiences were, were were around and centered around prayer. And you know, there's been a, n- a number of just instances that I've had and confronted mostly in the global south that have just wrecked me, honestly. And you know, I've shared this before, but you know, I was in Colombia years ago and um, some people, I think John, you're here, Jesse, he might be in here, he was with me, Susanna was there, and uh, um, we went, and it was a 4 a.m. prayer meeting, and we walked in, and there was at least 600 people uh, in this room praying at 4 a.m., um, and they weren't just in there praying like groggy awake like I was. Uh, they were with their knees. On, I was walking around them on their knees with their fist beating the concrete, weeping in intercession for their city, and I was there for two hours, and at the end of it, remember, we were walking around. It's all in Spanish, so I didn't hear a word, but I didn't need to hear a word. I knew what was being, I knew what was happening in that room, and I knew it was powerful. And they said, uh, they began to call out different strongholds in their city, and six, seven hundred people, maybe more, were walking in a circle around the sanctuary, walking around like the walls of Jericho, crying out for God to break through and break into their city. And I walked around surrounded by a chorus of Espanol. Hey, it's Cinco de Mayo, so it's fitting. Right, Jack? Come on, baby. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just broke down weeping, just weeping. And I just said, God, please tell me that I can see this in my nation. Please tell me that I can see this type of hunger and thirst and vibrancy and vitality in prayer. Please tell me I can see this in Boise, Idaho. Just weeping, just weeping. And uh, you know, just generally speaking, there is a hunger and a conviction around prayer that I see everywhere I go except for America, except for the Western world. Hunger and thirst. It's just, you know, in India, and one of the pastors said, how's your church going? He said, yeah, we decided to do a, a daily 5 a.m. prayer meeting for Lent all 40 days. And he said, I have single mothers in my church that wake up at 4 a.m. because the buses don't run and they walk with their children on their shoulders an hour so that they can pray every single day they're there. So while I'm convicted, I don't even know that type of hunger. I don't even know that type of thirst. You know, and that is, that is consistent wherever I go in the persecuted regions of the world. Right? But there is a complacency that is an infection in America that just keeps us stagnated. And I don't think that, um, I'm not trying to call out or judge and condemn, that's not the heart of the Father. He recognized, it's different. We have different battles to fight, but I believe that that same hunger and thirst is not reserved just for the persecuted church. It is reserved for us because the reality is that the American church is a persecuted church. It's just in plain sight. You know, and I, I hear the message, you know, Heidi and Roland Baker, the fruit of their intimacy is millions and millions of lives, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people been impacted, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of churches planted. And what are the, the Maddie's main message? Fruitfulness flows from intimacy. 
You know, so it's like I, I've seen it, and yet I haven't yet seen it fully translate here. You know, when we started Riverhouse, we were a house of prayer. Every, we had a 100% prayer rate Tuesday morning. We only had 10 people. <laughs> but they were all praying, you know, and you grow, and obviously things change. So I'm not saying everybody needs to be Tuesday morning prayer. We can't even fit everybody on Sunday, uh, much less Tuesday. But honestly, if I had to choose between, you know, a couple um, prayer meetings in the early mornings of the week with 100 people coming or a 1,500-person, 2,000 church on Sundays, I would choose the prayer meetings. Honest to God, I stand before God. That's what I would choose because I would have more confidence that those prayer meetings would bring the kingdom of God than I would the church service because we've been conditioned in this nation that church service is for consumption. And I believe a lot of the reason that there's this spiritual consumption is because people don't know how to pray. And when we don't know how to pray, we're empty and we're leaking our way to church on Sundays to try to get a refill instead of coming coming in the momentum and the spirit and we're, we're cultivating and I'm growing and I'm fanning to flame and I'm not coming to church to consume. I'm coming as a priest. I'm coming to worship. I'm coming to offer and celebrate in community so that the manifest glory of God can fall and cast more vision for what it can look like for me to go out the week and pray and press in and cultivate something, right? I, I, when I was in Africa, uh, I, I experienced God in ways that I never had, and I was living in an ecosystem that was cultivated and created by Heidi and Roland Baker's secret place, and it was it was just like electric there. I've never been in a spiritual atmosphere so just moist and damp with life and vibrancy and expectation, and the voice of God awakened in me, and my ears quickened to him, and I saw God move, and I felt his presence, and it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. I got home. And I entered into what felt like the, the most painful barrenness imaginable. And I remember I'd been home for a couple months, and there was a Saturday morning. I went to pray. I sat at the church by myself in the prayer room for hours. And after hours, I finally, with tears running out of my eyes, said, do you even live here, God? I can't feel you. I can't hear you. I miss you. Something in me misses you. What is going on? And in that season, the Lord began to show me, no, you were living in a river that they dug with their own time and devotion and pursuit of my heart. You've now seen vision of what it can look like. It's time for you to create your own culture, to create your own habitation, to fan the fire within you yourself so that you can create an atmosphere from which you can know me like you've now seen they know me. And I began digging on my hands and knees, digging, thirsting, searching, scratching, clawing, I want you, God. I will not be satisfied until that is my reality, right? And now I see what happens. You create this ecosystem within you. You can create a culture, this habitation where it's the manifest presence of God is such a, it, 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 it abides, it dwells, it grows, it increases, and it doesn't stay within you. It's not localized within you. You, be, you create atmospheres where you go, right? And now people have come together. Riverhouse is powerful, and this is why. It's because there are dozens of people that have been on a journey of cultivating this type of ecosystem within them, this type of habitation, connection, vitality with the presence of God, and now we're coming together. Families are coming together. Peoples are coming together. And God, this is a habitation that we are enjoying week after week after week after week. 
Right? There's an expectation when people come through those doors Sunday after Sunday. It's why we've grown without advertisement. It's because the fire of God's in the temple. And when the fire of God starts burning in the temple, people will come running. You don't need to put it in newspapers. You don't need to advertise it. People will come when they see the fire of God, when they experience that manifest presence. Every single human on the planet is thirsting for that connection. But this is the thing. God's not bringing us here so that this can be our hit for the week and then we can go back out and come back in another hit next week. He's actually prophesying to you week after week after week that what you're experiencing is simply an ecosystem created because men and women have laid down their lives to be intimate with Jesus. You're bearing the fruit of that. And he's saying, now go create your own ecosystem. I'm called to the church. I was called to create an environment where people could inhabit. Even in college, before I even knew what I was going to do, people would say, what's your dream? I said, my dream is to create a space where people can come and encounter the glory of God and be equipped to go fulfill their dreams. I didn't know, I didn't want to be a pastor. That was just simply all the language I had, right? I'm called to the church. You're called to the marketplace. You're called to the family. You're called to counseling. You're called to, to hair, beauty, whatever it is, right? You're called. God is showing you. This is what you can cultivate. This is just the overflow of a prayer life. I've heard even in secular worlds, they've said this. They say that every institution is the length and shadow of one individual, I'm going to spiritualize that for a moment. Every, every spiritual atmosphere where you encounter God, you or I encounter God, who's been to Bethel Church? Here's an example. It's the length and shadow of a person's secret place, right, of their prayer life. Right? And God's trying to show you, you can cultivate this inside of you and take it out there. That is how we become a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a people movement that are actually bringing the glory of God to all the places that we live, right? But sometimes we, we, we want to skip straight to the mission. It's like, oh yeah, you know, God has these ideas. Give me an idea or a strategy to create a really good business. And God's like, just know me. Like, just know me. Like, don't, like, mission happens. Just know me. If you know me, then the natural consequence is a force of missional expression. Right? But know me. You have to know me. Know me as I am. Really, really know me. And, and I have a witness. I have a witness. Everybody else is convicted. He's like, that's all I ever know. <laughs> this is within the realm of possibility. And, and I, I, uh, I actually believe for the day... Uh, when River House will be a hundred percent, every every single person will be in some sort of a prayer gathering, uh, at least once a week. I, I believe that that's not some, you know. People say, oh, you know, the stats show that you know eighteen percent of the church will be in small groups, and I don't, I don't care. Like, I why not? You know, Jesus is trying to make disciples, and to become a disciple, you become like the rabbi. And the rabbi, the Lord Jesus, who's governing and leading this church, he's trying to say, hey, hey, I want you to build your life on prayer, family, and mission. So if we're to become disciples, 
that's what we should be doing. You know, that's what it means to come under the authority. Right? And I'm not asking you to come under my authority. I'm asking you to come under his authority. Because he's, he's Lord. Right? And that's why there's conviction in the room. It's because he is speaking. He is wooing. He's inviting. We don't have to summon up and conjure emotion, right? And I actually think a lot of times the problem we have is we think prayer has got to be this emotional outburst experience. Sometimes it is. A lot of times it's not. You know, you look at anybody that is successful in any realm, they'll tell you it's doing the little things consistently every single day. You know, and, and he's wanting to disciple us, like be a, a, a house of prayer, be a people of prayer. And I believe that Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I think I've been kind of short-sighted in and implementing this into the church because I think I've, I looked at it as, you know, we'll spend three, four weeks like just really hitting this and then salt and pepper here with a sermon. And I just feel from the Lord, he's like, no, you're going to just have to take that little prayer drum and a rum pum pum pum, a rum pum pum pum, rum pum pum pum. And so I, I honestly, church, like I'm going to, I'm going to beat my prayer drum. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go there myself, and the Lord's just already showing me, and, and I have some ideas that, that aren't really fully developed yet as far as what this can look like. Um, and, and I believe there's some strategy to the Lord speaking, and, and you know, I want to protect your life, so I want to protect your time. I don't want to ask for everything because I want you to have space for family and mission and all the things. So we're not going to make this about coming to church 12 times a week, and I think that prayer is something that we can sacrifice early mornings. We can sacrifice space, and um, I, I have ideas for how we're going to mobilize and kind of hit this with a, a fresh, uh, fresh energy, but it's not really what I, where I want to go tonight. I think that will be in the, in the time to come. Um, but I just want to say, this is within the realm of possibility. You know, there are, there are revival movements. Uh, there was one um, decades ago in New York City. They called it like the businessman uh, revival, prayer revival. And there were literally um, prayer meetings, hundreds of prayer meetings all across New York City, Wall Street, all these places. And thousands and thousands of businessmen and businesswomen were literally gathering together. And the glory of God was just descending into these prayer meetings as they were crying out for the presence of God, you know, in the marketplace. Like, are you serious? You know, we've forgotten this, but this is American culture. This is our history. It was birthed, so much of our culture's birthed from revival. And there are just so many stories of just sovereignly God stirring and awakening prayer movement. And prayer will always precede the move of the Spirit, right? Jesus has, in his wisdom, God has designed that he actually wants us to partner with him in prayer. And prayer actually changes things. Right? It's why Jesus says, you, you knock and keep knocking. You seek and keep seeking. That's when you'll find. That's when the door will be open. Then he gets real awkward with it and says, yeah, it's like if you went to your neighbor's house, they said, no, we don't have any food. We're asleep. Leave. And you're like, no, I'm not leaving your house till you give me food. <laughs> you ever tried that? <laughs> you know, I did it once. Then I heard the sirens. I was... No, but like, you know, seriously, like, I think I preached this before in a different place, but like, you know, me and Johnny are pretty close, but like, you know, if I like, he's like, dude, like literally leave my house, like we're tired. I'm like, I will not leave your front door till you get me bread out of your living, your kitchen. He'd be like, no, like seriously, leave Jordan. No, I will not leave till you give me bread. Like, this is what Jesus tells us about praying. He says, it's because of that awkward perseverance 
uncomfortable perseverance. You'll actually get the thing that you ask for. Right? Prayer actually changes things. It's the first question we ever see the disciples ask Jesus is teach us to pray. And I actually want to key in on this right now because we miss sometimes, like the disciples knew how to pray. Right? They were Jews. You ever been to Israel? Anybody? Do Jews know how to pray? Been to the Welling Wall? I mean, me and my brother were there at Passover a number of years ago, and I was like, wow, like fervency, zeal, right? They, they know how to pray. Jews were familiar. Prayer was very much a part of their culture. But what they're really saying when they come to Jesus is they're saying, we recognize there is something you have in prayer that we've never experienced, right? So they're actually coming in humility. They're humbling themselves, saying we want what you got. Does that make sense? And, and really, you know, where, where I want to take us tonight, I don't really want to get into the practicals or how we're going to do this or how we're going to pray because I don't really feel like that's the purpose of even what the Lord's speaking right now. Um, I just think he's trying to prepare the place. And I want to talk about just even creating space for desire to be birthed in your life for prayer. And I believe it starts with humility. It starts with truly humbling yourself and it's recognizing that there is something that you may be lacking in your prayer life. Right? And I think that there's actually a mistake um, that we have uh, made. I've heard big pastors before. Literally, I've heard this said, but I'm a very prominent pastor. Most of you would know his name. He said, you know, when it comes to church growth, like prayer is not the difference. He said, every church prays. And I was like, hmm, I actually deeply disagree with that statement. Right? I think you can grow your church without prayer. Um, but I think if you want to see God grow your church, not just in numbers, but actually in presence and power and transformation and missional expression in the city, I think this is part of the problem in American Christianity. We've made an idol out of how big our churches are, and we measure how big our churches are on Sunday, and we don't really look at what's happening in our city, right? And there's a lot of churches that, like, you know, if they disappeared, I don't think many people in the city would know. They'd be like, okay, yeah, building for rent, Right? we got to measure the right things. we got to get the heart of God. But that perspective comes from prayer, right? Not from modeling ourselves after the things that culture idolizes and makes good, right? So Jesus had, like, not a very big church. Well, he had a big church, and then he, he grew it down to, like, 12. And then they all left. <laughs> like, seriously, you know, like, Jesus intentionally shrunk his church. You know, he, like, got up, be like, hey, guys, um you got to drink my blood and eat me. This is your pastor speaking. Hey, you got to eat me and drink my blood. That's how you'll get saved. <laughs> no, no funny, you know. It's like, you know, he didn't even like say, hey, by the way, it's going to be a little cracker and some grape juice. That would have been a little easier to come about. You see what I'm talking about? Like he didn't really give a rip about the crowds. What he gave a rip about was people becoming disciples. And I am not against a big church. I think we need to grow, right? There's a lot of people that need to be discipled, but we've got to do church a different way. We've got to actually become disciples. And part of becoming disciples, it's coming under the authority of what Jesus is actually discipling within any church family. And here it's prayer, family, mission, right? And tonight, prayer. He's discipling us into prayer. And, and you know, I was talking about this recently in a number of different ways, people, but people, probably the biggest question I get 
and maybe this is, maybe this is indicative of the whole thing we're talking about. The, probably the question I get more than anything is, when are we getting our building? That is not a bad question, but I think it's because then we can grow, you know. And and I was talking with Justin Ross, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think God's going to give us the building. I don't think He wants us to have the building. I think He wants us to become a people of prayer, family, mission." You know, and like truly, and I've thought this for a while, but it's just, just I've been on my own journey. You got to die to your own, the, the idol. You know, it, it, you know, it can feed something. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to preach to 2,000 people every Sunday. Then I'd really be somebody, you know. Like there is appeal to that that I've had to manage and talk about and discuss with the Lord, right? But it's like I'm truly, like truly just here you are, church, here I am. I really don't want a building until we become a house of prayer. If we become a house of prayer, that leads us to a bigger building, I will praise God because then I know our disciples are multiplying. It's not just this big crowd, you know, that we're getting our hit each week. That's not going to change the world. We were created by Jesus to change the world, not just get a really big, cool campus one day. I hope we get one one day because we're changing the world and we need that to disciple more people into prayer family, mission. It's so simple. All right, so I don't know where I went, but humility. This is where I feel like God's wanting to call us to is humility, right? And Matthew 5, I finally got there. You were wondering, here I am. All right, Matthew 5. I'm just going to read two of the, the Beatitudes here, All right? And, and before I do, so the Beatitudes is Jesus. It's actually Jesus describing to us the, the, the core principles upon which his own spiritual culture um, exists, right? So he's actually describing himself to us, and he's showing you, this is what my spirituality, this is what I am like, right? And I'm just going to read two of them. Uh, verse 3 is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, Okay, so poor, poor in spirit. This is, you know, remarkable. You know, I think a lot of times we think that we just kind of like, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, we need to bless, you know, poor people. We need to take care of the poor. Yeah, we do. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually saying, hey, like, the poor in spirit, they're your teachers. That's, like, radical. Like, wait, what do you mean the poor are our teachers? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. If you want to understand the kingdom, you need to understand what it means to be poor in spirit, right? This is the thing that I can, you know, you can, you can say about poor people is that to be poor, you actually have to admit that you have lack, right? That's like what it means to be poor. You recognize your need. You recognize your lack, Right? There are materialistically wealthy people that are poor in spirit. There are materially speaking poor people that are not poor in spirit. Right? It's about the posture of the heart. of You have the ability to recognize you are in need. That's humbling. We do not like this posture in the United States of America because it's the antithesis of what we're all trying to pursue, the American dream, is that actually that I have, I possess, I have. That's why we have so much debt. <laughs> it's right. 
I get an amen? Where's the baby? <laughs> yeah, going to work that one. So poor in spirit, but Jesus is saying this is what I'm like. Right? So a lot of times I think what hinders us from, from this, this humility of being like the disciples, hey, Jesus, teach me how to pray, or hey, so-and-so, that I see you praying a way I don't, teach me how to pray, is that we don't have the humility to recognize our lack. We kind of get insecure in our Christianity, and it's like, oh, no, God loves me just as much as he loves them. Like, how, they would, how dare them have a better, no, we're the same. That's not true. Right? There are people, and you know this if you're honest, there are people that you pray with them, you're like, whoa, you have power in your prayer. You know how to connect with God. You're just there, Right? Right? And a lot of times, instead of humbling ourselves and saying, hey, can you teach me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? It's like this competition. No, I got it too. Let me show my stuff, strut my stuff. Are you following me? Right? This was uh, really, um, for me, maybe not so much in prayer, but in other areas, particularly like um, healing, miracle, like prophecy, all that stuff, when I came into contact with that, I was like, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, the prophecy, you know, like, surely, I didn't like it, because it deeply threatened me, because I was not poor in spirit, I was actually offended, when, when I was first introduced to the concept, just the idea that Jesus was still healing today, I was deeply offended by it, because I was like, I am a fifth generation Christian, I've been raised in the church my entire life, you're telling me that God heals and I don't know about it? I didn't even like, I didn't even like go to youth group, so that's what's funny. I never even like liked church, but I got offended. No, I would certainly know about this. <laughs> Not like truly, like years. You know, like to the point, the first time I heard about like Heidi and Roland Baker, it was these people that were trying to tell me this stuff existed, manna in your Bibles. And I was like, never got that either. That can't be real. <laughs> then my brother's like in Africa, he's like, dude, I'm going with these people named Heidi and Roland Baker. And I literally, I was like, you need to be careful. <laughs> I was like, dude, you just like, I was like, keep your eyes open. <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid, bro. <laughs> right? You remember? This is like true, okay? Like, I was not poor in spirit, okay? And it was over, like, time, um, finally the Lord kind of brought me face-to-face with myself. And he was like, no, you're actually just really threatened and insecure. And it was so, so true. I remember I, I had to send a, a, a message to a guy that I didn't really even know in college, but he was a really anointed Man of God had a lot of favor. People were just drawn to him, his worship nights, all, all that thing. I had to, like, send him a message and just say, dude, I, I, like, judged you because I was insecure. And your, your brand of spirituality threatened me because I deeply knew you had something that I wanted, but I was, I just couldn't. I, does that make sense? Because I couldn't admit my lack I could never actually experience the desire for it. So this is the crazy thing, right? When you become poor in spirit and you recognize lack and you come into contact with someone that has something that you now know you want and is actually part of your birthright, a powerful connection with Jesus, what we're talking about tonight in prayer, that actually is your inheritance. That is your birth. You were created for that. You are deeply yearning for that. You see someone that has it, 
you admit lack, you humble yourself. Guess what happens when you recognize that you don't have something that you deeply, deeply want and you know belongs to you? Guess what happens? You, you get desire for that thing. You start to desire it, right? And that is hunger, right? So it's actually a lack of humility, a lack of poverty in spirit, right? Because we don't have that, we actually don't have the posture to experience true spiritual hunger. And this is the thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's spiritual law. When you get hungry, you won't stop till you get fed. That's what it means to be hungry. Right? When you get hungry for the presence of God, you, you won't stop until you're in it. You get hungry for God, you'll knock down anything to go get fed, right? Like when you, when you see, we don't really even know what hunger means in America, right? But like I've had kids in Africa tell me, and then the drought came and we literally would have to dig in the dirt to try to find weeds so that we could eat the weeds. So it, it would somehow trick us into thinking our stomachs weren't full. And, and me and my brothers, I had, a, I had a young man, probably 21 years old, saying me and my brothers, we had to, got to the point where we started eating sand because it made our stomachs not hurt so bad because we were so hungry, right? When you when you start to get poor in spirit and you see, oh, I'm not just lacking a little, I'm lacking so much. Ephesians 1, you've been blessed in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. You start getting hungry. And when you get hungry, you won't stop till you eat. So follow me now, baby. If there is prayerlessness in your life, it's because you're not hungry for the presence of God, which we're created to be because that's what Jesus was. He spent all night in prayer with his father. And if you're not hungry for the presence of God, it's because there's a lack of humility in your life. Baby? Even he's convicted now. So tonight, I just feel like the Lord is just wanting to prepare a space and actually posture our hearts to become a hungry people and invite us into the humble posture of, of the disciple, which when the rabbi would teach, right, grown men would sit, would sit beneath, humble themselves at the feet of the rabbi so that the rabbi could feed with, with true bread, with true nourishment. You know, that's the cool thing of the story of Mary and Martha is that Martha's busying herself and Mary actually takes the position of the disciple. Sitting at the Lord's feet wasn't like a sign of female submission. It was actually her sitting in the place of the man, actually, in the place of the disciple. And so Martha was in the posture of true, or Mary was in the posture of true discipleship where Martha was busy doing all the great things that were going to get the praise, right? Building the big church, leading the Bible study, doing all, all the good things. Good, good, good. But Mary chose the better portion. And so I just feel like tonight, um, Jesus is just inviting us to humble ourselves and become a disciple. And uh, many of you are going to need help. And I think we're going to 
I got ideas, so just stay tuned. But as, but there's people here that you what you have in the Lord, you need to to, to, to disciple. The Lord's going to use you, and I just think prayer movement's going to start. But for right now, I just want to invite you. Um, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to invite you to take the position of the disciple. You don't have to sit like me, um, but you can. And to just humble yourself and say, Jesus, there's lack in my heart. So, Lord, we just humble ourselves before you tonight. You are a rabbi. You're the good teacher. And we say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray like the Colombians pray. Teach us how to pray like the Indians pray. Teach us how to pray like the Africans pray. God, we are jealous for what they have in you that we have not yet tasted. Lord, we are jealous for that hunger and thirst for your presence. That can only come, God, when we're poor in spirit. And so tonight, Jesus, we just shed our ego. We shed our insecurity, our feelings of threatenedness. We just say, Lord, in whatever means possible, disciple us. Even if it means that we have to humble ourselves before our own children and let them pray, lay hands on us to become childlike, God, May we never grow too big or great or conceited that we can be blessed and receive from a child. God, we just want to be so humble that we can receive your grace through any means you desire to disciple us through. So God, make us a house of prayer. God, where the fire on the altar of this house never goes out, that we be a priesthood that cultivates just an atmosphere, God, that's a habitation of God. So that everywhere we go, God, every, every business meeting, every home, God, every school, classroom, every counseling office, God, it becomes an environment that is saturated with your presence because we have cultivated, God, with, within our own hearts an atmosphere, God, of intimacy and intercession with you. So we're here to be discipled by you, Jesus, and to be led into the maturity of what you created when you started this family. So teach us how to pray. Make us a house of prayer tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. We just honor you and we love you. And we submit our lives to you tonight. Rabbanai, the Lord Jesus, our leader. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.